The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space Podcast, episode 307, for the week of Sunday, February 20th, 2011. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight, as always, is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Good evening, Sawyer. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Three, two, one. Last off. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Mark? Good. And welcome as well, Talking Space's roving reporter who will be at the STS-133 launch, Gina Hurley. How are you? Good, Sawyer. Packing my bags. All right. Awesome. So let's get right into our first story, which happens to be STS-133, and that the mission management team gave Discovery a go for a launch on her STS-133 mission, scheduled for this Thursday, February 24th. At 4.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As of Monday, the clock has begun counting down, and we're getting close to launch. It's getting close, huh? Indeed, indeed it is. The crew arrived uh, Sunday uh, while everybody else was watching the Daytona 500. They they also flew right on in and with... Uh, uh, there uh, the T-38s and Mark you had an opportunity to go ahead and see that and see that uh, during the first fly-in if I'm not mistaken that that must have been awesome um, the uh, the interesting thing uh, with uh, uh, Steve Lindsay's comments uh, was that we're back here to make another attempt which <laughs> didn't bode all that well uh, but um, uh, he also really really uh, gave a good tip of the hat to uh, to Tim Copra uh, who unfortunately uh, is not going to make the flight. Uh, he was replaced uh, by Steve Bowen, and uh, you know, due to the uh, the uh, bicycle accident, uh, Tim will still have a, a a big role in the mission, but uh, unfortunately will not uh, be able to go ahead and fly. Um, but he thanked Tim Coper a lot, and he thanked the entire team. Um, I believe also during the, uh, uh, the press conference um, uh, for STS-133. Uh, for the, the uh, post-mission uh, management team meeting, a lot of thank yous were, were thrown around uh, for uh, the entire uh, shuttle team that worked very, very hard on the uh, the stringer problem on the external tank. Uh, just a, a phenomenal effort all the way around. A lot of people put in a, a lot of, you know, burned a lot of midnight oil and uh, were, were working very hard to solve those problems and they really got their moment in the sun during that meeting. All right, so remember the launch of STS-133 is scheduled for February 24th, 4.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, launch from the Kennedy Space Center, launch pad 39A. 
And Gina, you're going to have some goodies for us, I hope, right? I, yes, I will definitely <laughs> have some goodies for you on site there. Yep. And um, just just as an aside, too, I think uh, I, uh, about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm thinking about 88 folks from the initial NASA tweet-up uh, uh, crew are going to be there. I think there was about 150 in all, and uh, I think it's 88. Or you know, I've, I've heard one number 88, and I heard another about 105. So there, are, you know, some of the the NASA tweet up folks will make that. So you know, hats off to them. I hope they have a good time. Yeah, and I hope you actually get a launch this time, guys. Oh, I have a feeling. I have a feeling Discovery is going to be. I have a really good feeling about this date and time. Yeah, I do. I too. think everything's lining up. Countdown started. They're working no issues. The weather looks fantastic. I think the crew's more than ready. I, I, I think I think we're going to have a positive outcome Thursday. Yes, as of this recording date, which is the 21st of February, weather is currently 80% go. I don't think it's ever more than that. I think that's usually a pretty good green for NASA. I have seen 90 watch. once before. Oh, really? Okay. Only once, but 80 is still really good. I think that bird just wants to go already. And given it's her last one, she probably wants to go out on, on a good note, and I think she will. She's going to have a lot of lot of support back home. Oh, yes, she will. All right, and of course the mission will be to deliver the former multi-purpose logistics module, now to be a permanent piece of the space station, Leonardo to the International Space Station, along with a little thing called Robonaut 2, which will act almost as a robotic human doing extra special work outside of the station. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a training mode uh, with Robonaut 2, I believe. Uh, I don't even think they're going to be unpacking it during this mission. Um, they're just going to go ahead and pull it out of the... Uh, uh, pull it out of the... Uh, what? I guess the, uh, the, the PMM. PMM. Yes, the, the PMM there where it's sitting. Um, but I don't think they're going to be unpacking it on this flight. But uh, eventually what they're hoping to do with Robonaut 2 is to uh, actually have this thing go EVA and, and be able to do some, uh, some tasks outside the, uh, outside the space station as well as inside the station. So it's going to be a, 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 like, a, like another crew member. So it's going to be kind of exciting to see how that experiment pays off. And there's other things Robonaut could do, um, other other models of the Robonaut could probably do in the future. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what happens with it. Same. Isn't it just amazing what robots could do? I mean, could you imagine even if, like, there was a robot on board the International Space Station, maybe, that could, you know, like, help cheer up the crew or something like that, which <laughs> is currently being developed, by the way, and I hope you like the transition there, by JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency. This robot will help aid in the crew's morale, as well as taking communications during their off times and sleep periods, and most importantly, tweeting. Right, Gene? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I found this, and I'm trying to remember where I found I think it was in the Wall Street Journal uh, on uh, February 16th. Uh, apparently, this robot here um, is being developed... Um, by by JAXA, and uh, they actually in the article here it does tip a hat to Robonaut too, 
um, saying that uh, this is not going to be the only robot that will be up there on the International Space Station. NASA's basically engineered this one robot to basically be a second crewman to go off and do tasks and things like that. But this robot's objective, and it doesn't have a name here, unfortunately, but this particular robot here is its objective is to keep the astronauts company. Apparently, to um, according to Jax's uh, uh, Sanoshi, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Sanoshi San, Sano, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, and I'm going to quote directly from the article: "Quote." The robot would provide stress-relieving facial expressions and words to the astronauts. And perhaps more importantly for those back on planet Earth, uh, the robot will read, analyze, and analyze the astronauts' faces to detect any signs of stress. So I guess, you know, aside from the touchy-feely aspects of the thing, there is a, a legitimate, you know, psychological reason for it. So, um... <laughs> It blew my mind when I saw this, but uh, I, I I was like, okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I guess there is a, a you know there is a benefit here. I'm telling you though, if I was hanging out with him, the only thing I wouldn't do is watch Jeopardy because knowing him, he'll be just as good as Watson and start <laughs> beating us all. <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> just remember, resistance is futile. <laughs> Well, as I said, we'll just go ahead and, and bow to our captors when they arrive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Japanese Space Agency lately has been doing uh, a lot of great things with the International Space Station. I mean, even coming up in the future, and here comes another transition, the Japanese Space Agency will have finally one of their own astronauts actually commanding the International Space Station. And who's that lucky astronaut, Gene? Uh, astronaut Koichi Wakata uh, will be staying on the uh, ISS for about uh, six months, I believe, starting at the end of uh, 2013, and uh, will serve as the very first Japanese commander of the International Space Station. Uh, so that will, you know, again, that's a first for for Japan, and again, it, it's a salute to to the international aspects of. Uh, and the international cooperation that's going on uh, some 200 miles above us. So maybe there's hope yet. It's great that we're actually getting cooperation from other nations, you know, including JAXA and the other two biggies, obviously, being the United States and Russia, who, by the way, happened to complete a spacewalk on board the International Space Station about a week ago. Does anybody know what the objectives were and uh, how well they did? Well, uh, I believe the EVA went about uh, five hours long. Um, it was to uh, install some uh, equipment for some uh, some experiments on uh, sensing, uh, I believe it was uh, lightning and, uh, and earthquakes. Um, and I think that there were a couple other maintenance tasks that they had to perform out there. Um uh, apparently, they, there were two panels that have left outside that were exposed to various materials um, in the vacuum, and they wanted to bring those two panels in. Um, I guess it's a uh, an experiment to go ahead and determine what you know, materials would be required uh, in the future to design either future spacecraft or, or a uh, future space station. So uh, all went well. 
Uh, it's always great to hear things going well. Indeed. Well, it's great that they got to do some work on the International Space Station there, and uh, I believe that there will be a little more work done on the International Space Station, including boosting its orbit a little bit, with the successful launch of the ATV-2, also known as Johannes Kepler, which launched this Wednesday, this past Wednesday, right? Yeah, I think it, I, I forget what the cargo capacity was. You'll have to forgive me, folks, but uh, um, the uh, uh, ATV-2 or the Johannes Kepler uh, did successfully dock with the uh, the ISS. Uh, I guess it was on the 15th. It's going to be busy up there. I'm just thinking, you, you just had a progress uh, leave the ISS, the Japanese HTV is on site. The ATV is now site on site, and Discovery is now coming up. So, um, it is. It's the the ISS is really beginning to be a, a very busy port of call. Uh, the ATV, for those who are not really initiated, what that is, it's essentially a cargo vehicle, an unpiloted cargo vehicle, uh, built by the European Space Agency, and uh, just like the Progress, it goes ahead and delivers. Uh, cargo and supplies up to the ISS, but also it has another another purpose, which is to go ahead and, you know, just adjust the attitude and the, adjust the altitude of, of the uh, of the ISS when required. And in this case, um, they're going to take lead in, in adjusting the, uh, the altitude. So again, you know, it's another mark of cooperation. Here is this, you know, this uh, European craft that is attached to a, you know, a multi-international <laughs> piece of machinery that was basically put together by the United States and it is going to go ahead and, and do its part. So again, another another salute to, uh, uh, to international cooperation. Yeah, I mean, it's truly great to see nations as they actually come together, unlike our own nation, which takes a look at its space program and decides, you know what, there are other things that need the money more because last week we reported that NASA was getting a pretty decent budget. Unfortunately, $287 million of that budget was just rescinded and placed in other locations. I know this is going to be an interesting one, so what are your thoughts on this? Oh, boy. Well, first off, the, the budget itself was not really a decent one. It was essentially flat. Um, it's missing a lot of the things. Well, uh, it's missing, basically... Um, the uh, uh, it's essentially over a billion less than what the president wanted, um, and that that was a big uh, that was a big shock to me. Um, also, I believe Marcia Smith on uh, Space Policy Online reported that um, the message here, and I'm going to quote her directly: the message here for for NASA seems to be that its activities don't really carry the same weight as other agencies in meeting the president's innovative education built you know build goals uh because a lot of she indicated that a lot of uh, uh science and uh you know science related programs got a boost in the 2012 budget whereas nasa just again just uh, kind of sort of stayed flat so it was a big big blow the other thing that we're alluding to is that um i believe it was on february 17th that uh, a, lot of, a lot of the Republican lawmakers in the House wanted to go ahead and uh, initiate a, a cut um, 
and they did it to the tune of nearly $300 million uh, from the NASA budget um, for local policing. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go on record saying here, I understand the need for, for firefighters and for, for more police, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, can't the money be found elsewhere other than, you know, picking out a program that is already, in my opinion, tasked to do too many things with very limited resources? Um, and the, the fact is that, that in, you know, the, the history shows that, that NASA has been really, really picked out when, you know, it comes to, to stuff like this. And I was a very, very <laughs> displeased uh, to hear about this. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm all for more police, but in my opinion, too, this, you know, this little less than $300 million for, for policing will probably wind up in some municipal um, overtime budget to, to police a parade. Actually, Gene, um, the police program is the President Clinton-era um, police program where the money goes to training community police force and putting extra police on the streets. I mean, clearly when the economy is bad, crime increases. And um, President Clinton put this program in place and crime dropped. Now, I'm not too thrilled about money being reallocated there, but, you know, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on right now, America and Americans have to start living within their means, and this is not... It's not a good time right now. Something's going to get cut. And I, th- and, and I think everything has been cut across the board. However, you know, I think we are overlooking what really would balance the P&L statement for this country. And that's the three biggest things we spend money on. And that's Social Security, Medicare, and the defense budget. And, you know, Congress has gone amok trying to scrape 2% here and 5% there and let's cut home eating aid for the poor and of course of course NASA has felt it too but you know it's a it's a much bigger problem i mean they're they're going about this the wrong way they're nickel and diming the already ones and 2% of the federal budget and ignoring um, other spending that needs to be reined in yeah, i'm again i'm with you to to a degree I'm just saying, why is it always has to be, you know, the NASA budget that gets the ding? Um, I mean, the history has shown that that's that that's always been the case. The budget has been flat historically, and we keep on tasking our space program to do certain well, things. Go ahead. But this is a year of cutting. I mean, that's a clear message that Congress is sending. Now, let's. I mean, let's see what happens. I mean. Congress has come out with the budget. The president has come out with the, a budget. You know, the the House and the Senate and con- conference committee has to flesh all of this out, and then mm-hmm. it has to go to the president's desk, and then it's signed or not or vetoed. Right. I think we're still a long way away from that point. You know, everybody's put out quite a bit, knowing that whatever whatever budget you put out there is not going to be the final array of numbers. But I think, um, you know, when you produce a budget, you definitely, it's a document that really sort of says where your priorities are. 
and I think I think that's what's sad. You know, if if we're really talking about jobs, 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 or is this just politics? If we're trying to create jobs again, NASA is a great starting point. I mean, you know, funding police again, more jobs. You know, investing in education, hire more teachers. I mean, these are obvious, quick ways to restart the economy by shifting funds there. Okay, we can't, we can't, we canceled Constellation. Was that a sinkhole that we were spending, putting money in? I mean, there's two sides of that argument. But was it over budget and behind schedule? Yes. Okay, are these the kinds of things that cause red flags in the you know, Office of Management and Budget and the Executive Office? Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of non-efficient money being spent, I think, that needs to be red flagged. And then I think other bigger things need to be rethought out i mean you know we're spending billions of dollars on defense that you know some airplanes or planes or I mean, airplanes or tanks or other kinds of machines that we don't even need anymore and you know we're still buying airplanes that aren't going to help us in the battles we're fighting today so you know it's it's that kind of spending i think we really need to take a long look at but this is where we are nonetheless yeah, just just to just you know to reiterate though, um, it, it, in my opinion though, it just seems to be that it's always you know R and D. It's always a group like NASA that gets that gets dinged. And if if you look at the NASA budget over the past few years, not just not just currently, um, it has just been well flat. And now you know we've we've been. Given the uh, you know uh, this this six billion dollars, it just kind of over what was it about a span of like five years or something like like that, that is now by the boards or appears to be, and uh, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we've tasked this agency to do certain things. I don't know if we're getting the re- the proper resources so that NASA can go ahead and conduct all of the missions that it's given. And uh, we really ought to ought to sit back and, and look at what's going on. But here's the thing. When you realize what they're taking out the resources for, you can understand in a way why they took it. They're like, okay, of all the programs, which one can we take it from for our emergency services? I understand. I have plenty of family members that are on emergency services. However, again, this is where it goes back to what we've been talking about since episode 101. <laughs> Of talking space, and that is NASA needs to toot their own horn a little more. Basically, what they need to do is they need to actually get out there, promote themselves, what they do. I mean, how much they've done to help the law enforcement community and to help affect the medical community and firefighters and everything that they're allocating this extra money to. They realized how this money can be put towards benefiting that. Then I have a feeling less or none would have been taken out of what they were given this year. And it, the, the point, you made, made a good point there, Sawyer. I mean, the fact of the matter is this, this agency can be an economic engine, and we're not fueling that engine. And it just seems to me we're just giving it just so much um, to just basically stay just barely on life support. And uh, it, it, it's frustrating. But... Uh, Hopefully, we will learn our lesson when uh, when you know other nations are doing bold, bolder things than we are. But do we have to wait for it to get to that point? I mean, it's it's true, you know, 
it took the Soviet Union and their space race to get us to eventually go to the moon. But, I mean, it, it's not like we should wait again for, say, China to be the next one to go to the moon, and then we're the ones stuck behind. But it seems to me that that's what we need. That's the only thing that wakes us up. There's got to be a cheaper and less embarrassing way of doing it. I agree with you, but it just seems to me, you know, in our system, that's what we need to spur us on. We need a, we need a, I, I don't want to sound like Tom Clancy, but we need a clear and present danger to go ahead and move, move forward. And um, in, in this, you know, again, we were talking about international cooperation. You know, I don't, again, I don't see how we're going to get that. I think those glory days, you know, those days, those golden age things with, you know, the space race and so on. I think those those days are are over, and we've got to have to go ahead and realize that we're we're looking at cooperation. I mean, even you know, even in, I think somebody uh, had mentioned, um, and I'm trying to remember where I read the article, uh, where where some in in the House are trying to prevent NASA from cooperating with the Chinese. So, I don't know. You know, where, where do you go from here? Um, we'll just have to go ahead and just see how this all plays out and and just, you know, all I got to say is just stay tuned. Uh, the, the upside of this, if you want to call it that, is that if we can't really reach a budget agreement and we have to pass one of these little patchwork things like we did before by, by March 4th, um, so, in other words, if NASA continues operating at a 2010 level, uh, the silver lining is 135 gets to fly, per, you know, guaranteed. So, again, you know, there is a little bit of a silver lining there. What we really need is the black lining of space. Alrighty then. Well, if NASA gets more money, it will be glory, glory, hallelujah. And the reason I mention the word glory is because NASA will be launching a spacecraft from Vandenberg Air Force Base out in California with a satellite called Glory. Now, what's so glorious about this satellite? Uh, it's really a, a bit of a, a groundbreaker for what it's going to do and the science it's going to provide. Um, its, its whole thing is on measuring aerosols in the atmosphere. And uh, I heard a statement made on a video that I watched that said that uh, we've made more precise measurements of aerosols on other planets than we have on Earth. And the aerosols that Gloria is going to provide measurements of, it's of comparable importance to that of greenhouse gases in the role of our climate. Um, so far... They've not been accurate enough to give us the kind of uh, predictions on climate. For instance, aerosols influence clouds. They can absorb or reflect sunlight. The size of the particles is a factor. The altitude of the particles is a factor. They can be man-made from pollution. They can be natural from things like volcanic eruptions or fires or dust storms off the Sahara. There are so many things that can be part of that, and that's what Glory is going to provide measurements of, and um, I found some little interesting tidbits as I ramble on about the uh, the spacecraft itself. It's going to be in a polar orbit. Um, it's going to be subject every 45 minutes as it orbits 
to 100 degrees centigrade thermal cycling from as it goes through day to night. And every pass over the equator, the sun is going to be in the same relative position to the satellite. So all of that stuff is hard for me to, to visualize how the orbital mechanics and such works. But um, it sounds really interesting. And when you hear the scientists talk about it, it really is something that's going to be a benefit in understanding our climate. And if you want some trivia about the rocket, yeah, how, does that, how does that sound? Well, it's orbital, it. science, it's orbital Science's Taurus XL, and I didn't really grasp this. I mean, it, it's hard to, to catch all of the little details of the different participants in spaceflight these days, but this is actually a return-to-flight launch. Huh. The, the last Taurus XL that flew was in 2009. And now I'm not going to be able to find my reference to it, but it was in 2009, and it failed uh, on launch because the the fairing did not separate properly uh, after third stage flight, and so they lost the uh, they lost the satellite that they had. So this is return to flight, and of course they've uh, determined that they're ready to go. They found the source of the problems, and uh, of course they wouldn't. Wouldn't fly if they weren't ready. But uh, along with Glory, there's going to be some interesting little uh, tag-along satellites going on. They're the first of NASA's Educational Launch of Nano Satellite, another acronym, E-L-A-N-A. And there's going to be three of these CubeSats. Um, they measure about four inches on a side. A volume of about one quart. They weigh about 2.2 pounds. They're very tiny. They have to conform with some very specific, uh, you know, constraints as to how they're made and and be able to uh, survive the launch and whatnot. And the participants in this particular uh, three nanosats is several universities. One is Montana State. The other is the uh, uh, it's a Kentucky Space Consortium, okay. and um, oh, the University of Colorado—that's the one okay, I was I'm missing. Sorry. Yeah, University of Colorado, uh, Kentucky State, and Kentucky State is a a group of uh, all of the universities in the state that are part of this, and it's uh, University of Louisville, Moorhead State University, Murray State University, West Kentucky University, Kentucky Community and Technical College System, Belcan Inc., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Give me a second. I, I want to tell you a little bit about each of the little nanosats. Okay, Montana's little satellite is going to study uh, variations in the Van Allen radiation belt, and it flies to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Explorer 1, and they call theirs Explorer 1 Prime, or E1P. Uh, University of Colorado's CubeSat is the Hermes 1. Uh, Seventy students contributed to the design, fabrication, and testing. College students, guys not the people with years and decades of experience, but people that are learning the science today have participated in these nanosats, and I think that is incredible. Uh, the mission of Hermes-1 is going to be test viability of high-speed communication system in the hope of replicating it on future CubeSats. The uh, Kentucky Space Consortium, their satellite, is going to... 
part of its payload is a low-resolution camera, and it's a relatively high-powered UHF-VHF radio to allow satellite communication from small portable ground stations that could be set up in a playground or a parking lot. So it's got a communications payload, a 2.4 gigahertz high-speed transceiver, and it's going to be tested to see how feasible it is to use that that equipment in a space environment. So that's some of the the trivia of the Taurus XL, uh, of Glory, a quick touch on it, of the of the uh, nano satellites, and uh, wish them the best. What is the launch time, Sawyer? Have you got that at your ready? 5.09 a.m. Eastern Time. On Wednesday, February 23rd. So if you don't listen to this show quick, you'll miss it. But uh, it's... Oh, by the way, the Taurus XL is a four-stage solid rocket, solid solid rocket motor rocket. And uh, like you said, it launches from Vandenberg. And uh, Mark, the, the company that puts that one together, that's Orbital Sciences? Yes. Okay. The real cool thing about the about that whole thing was hearing that college students are involved in this. Again, sorry, this is this is alluding to what you were talking about earlier, uh, getting you know instituting their own horn and and getting you know the next generation involved. This mission certainly does that, and I mean, wow, what an opportunity! I'm envious of those guys. No, everybody that's involved in that, I really am. That sounds like a super super plan. That is America's future, and they're going to be the ones building satellites in the future. So for them to get a start on it now can only mean great things as we progress. Yeah, it just sounds so exciting. It really is. This, is. this is going to be a neat mission to watch. Oh, and if anybody wants to see some interesting videos about Glory, uh, go to YouTube. Uh, look for NASA Explorer. They are. Uh, they put out some great content, and they're a feed, I believe, for a lot of what I catch off iTunes, on uh, and some other name tags there. But NASA Explorer, YouTube, and uh, search for Glory. You'll yeah, find at least at least three, three or four of them, I think. Mark, you were referring to Explorer One B, um, and and a salute to Explorer One, which actually, I guess, discovered the the uh, Van Allen radiation belt. We actually observed another anniversary this week, February 20th, 1962. Well, that takes me back. Yep. I'm drawing a blank. Tell me. Friendship 7. This is uh, John Glenn's, uh, the anniversary of John Glenn's flight. So, uh, you know, again, from that particular era, it just, just hit me just now. There will be a time, in spite of some of the uh, concerns that we talk about, there will be a time when every day on the calendar, and we're not far from it, but there will be more and more anniversaries and more events on this day in history to where uh, we'll be having to filter them out for the top ten on a particular day. Don't you hope? Yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed on that one, Mark. Nice, nice, uh, Nice thought. And with that, we can take this Talking Space episode and put it out in a blaze of glory. (laughs) Why did I know that was coming? Because I had to. (laughs) 
before we go, we'd like to give a very special happy birthday to a little rubber chicken friend of ours and his satellite companion, Camilla SDO is their Twitter name, and Camilla and the Solar Dynamics Observatory, which launched about a year ago. Also, I believe today, um, as we record this, is Scott Kelly's and Mark Kelly's birthday. Definitely happy birthday to the commander of the International Space Station and the commander of STS-134. And with that, we can end this episode of Cosmic Proportions. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Thank you. And um, I just want to give a shout out to Scott Maxwell. He's having some uh, 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 medical issues right now, but uh, uh, he's been on the show here uh, one, uh, once before. And uh, again, I wish him a speedy recovery. Definitely all the best to him. And thank you as well for joining us, Mark Ratterman. Yes, sir. And Sawyer, thanks. I don't. Uh, I don't point the. I don't point the spotlight on you, but thanks for all the work that you do editing our shows and getting them out so quick. You're you're one busy guy, and you do a fantastic job. And I just wanted to say thank you. You're welcome, and thank you so much for the compliments. And Gina Herlihy, thank you for joining us as well. You bet. I'll be looking forward to talking to you guys next week from the Cape. Enjoy it, please. Enjoy it. Can't for wait. Us. And I bet you there's one thing you could probably do without. My Come awful on. transitions. Tell No, no, no. Oh, I was waiting for the wind-up here. Go ahead. I was going to transition into that wind-up. We get it? There was, there was another transition. <laughs> you know what? Have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love banging out like that. <laughs>